Okay. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told them, and Levi got up and followed them, him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Today is all about saying yes. Ben and Catherine have said yes to Jesus' call to follow him, publicly declaring, yes, I want to belong to the church. I want to stand up hence why they stood, for what I believe, it's saying yes to Jesus' call to follow him on your journey, Ben and Catherine, through life. And we've prayed today for the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, and the particular prayer I prayed, you might want to keep that prayer in the um, service sheet that you were given as we went through the service, it's actually praying for the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit. And it's all about praying, enabling you to keep to the heart of your faith, saying yes to Jesus. It's important. Keeping our confidence in God's purposes can be difficult in an anxious age. And yes, as Catherine said, there will be ups and downs still. Yet our prayer is that Ben and Catherine will grow into the people God has designed them to be, grow in their desire to be used by God 
And so opportunities to serve, discovering your vocation, your calling as a Christian. Yes is what we see with the call of Levi or Matthew as we come to know him. In fact, an apparent instant yes. Jesus says, follow me, and straight away, Levi does. Today's gospel from Mark contains two stories, doesn't it? The healing of the paralysed man let down through the roof and the calling of Levi, the tax collector. There are some similarities, some patterns that emerge. Firstly, in both, Jesus is teaching to crowds that are gathering on his return to Capernaum. And in the first episode, the crowds gather in the home where Jesus is. It's full to bursting. It may not be the 100,000 full house of yesterday at the MCG, but I'm pretty sure it would have been much more chaotic and there would not have been all the uh, OH&S and everything that would have gone into yesterday. In the second, the crowds are gathering around Jesus beside the sea. So two very different places. But as Nikita pointed out, there are still crowds. Wherever Jesus goes, there are crowds gathering. In both, the main characters, the paralysed man healing, rece receiving healing and forgiveness, Levi answering Jesus' call, they are both outsiders, excluded. In fact, they are really as much a leper as the leper who was a pariah in chapter 1 of Mark. That's a pattern you see through the gospel. Yet they both, in fact all three, receive new life. The paralysed man, put on a stretcher by his four friends to bring him to Jesus, is an outsider because they can't get in. People are blocking the way to Jesus. And the sad thing is, we often do that, sometimes even without realising it. The friends then climbed up the outside staircase to the flat roof, broke it open and let down their paralysed friend from on high. And Jesus saw their faith. Desperate, determined, and dependent. They believe that the love of God has descended in this Jesus and they make their sick friend descend to Jesus' feet. He's already lying on his deathbed unless Jesus raises him up, resurrects his paralyzed body. Faith is faith that things can be different. Faith is not held up by the barriers that might be erected. This story is really a picture of prayer, being in God's presence. Child, your sins are forgiven. We don't know exactly the link, but it's like Jesus knows that the source of this man's trouble is inside him. And therefore, 
there might need to be a physical healing, but there also needs to be, for this person, a healing from within. Is this man paralysed with fear? Paralysed by sin? We don't know. It doesn't mean that he's a villain. It means he's lost his way. Child, Jesus said to him. This man isn't a child, but how healing it would be if he rediscovered the childlike trust that God is a father with whom he can feel secure. God is great and loves unconditionally. Jesus unconditionally loves this paralysed person. And so that becomes a sign of the unconditional love of God. And the forgiveness of sins announced to the paralytic becomes a power that sets him on his feet again. The miraculous connection that the psalmist in Psalm 103 makes, praising the God who forgives your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The paralysed person is a child of this God. And again, he has a whole new life in front of him. In the next episode, all the people have gone out to hear Jesus, it seems, except Levi. Levi sits in his custom house. He's, you know, tax collectors. They were the people who collected on behalf of the Roman forces of occupation. So basically he's getting rich at the expense of travellers who have to come through, clear their goods at his office. How can a person opt for such a job? What led up to it? What made him choose to be that outsider? Maybe he had nothing to lose. Was he someone already different, alienated from others? So this was really making a virtue out of necessity by profiting from his isolation. Again, we don't really know. But once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along... He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus saw him sitting there, seeing not so much Levi's actions, maybe, as his suffering, his unease, the void behind all those riches and the fear, maybe, of giving them up. What he sees is Levi is alone. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. It's been wonderful, profound to hear from Ben and Catherine why they are following Jesus, how they have come to say Jesus, say yes to Jesus' call, follow me. Why today they have stood and publicly declared that, we all have different stories to tell, different testimonies to give of God working in our lives. Mark gives the impression that it all took place in an instant for Levi. But, you know, talk about what might have led up to it. Who led up to it? Maybe you'd heard John the Baptist preaching of repentance. 
Perhaps he'd already picked up fragments of Jesus' teaching from passers-by along the shore. Maybe he'd listened a bit more to sermons over time. Catherine, I'll try and not be too long before we get to the singing. You know, but things, things that Jesus said might have struck him. You can't serve God and mammon, the God of money. Whatever. Follow me. And Levi arose. So this is another resurrection story. Levi arose from the dead. The Lord has seen him and unexpectedly he's reborn. Which as we saw today, water baptism is a sign of, a sign of that spiritual rebirth. It's a rebirth and of course it has to be celebrated. So a feast is arranged in Levi's house. That's where we get to our third similarity because in both stories we see the reaction of the teachers of the law, the scribes of the Pharisees. Mark is actually constructing his story quite carefully and there is a pattern that is emerging but it's not the same each time. It's building on on each. See, because first he tells us that the teachers of the law pondered this in their heart this was their reaction verse 6 when Jesus told the paralytic child your sins are forgiven now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like this he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone where does Jesus get the right to play God like this from can he give any proof that he's authorized to do so Well, Jesus can do something else, something which, moreover, can be verified. The paralysed man had come through the roof. He went out through the door. He could walk again. The Son of Man had announced forgiveness to him. The Son of Man had healed him, and people could see it. The Son of Man. Think of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. The prophecy in Israel that one day a Son of Man would descend to earth on the clouds of heaven, as it were, through a hole in the roof. So heaven and earth would no longer be at odds. This Son of Man has become flesh and blood in Jesus. Where this man came, where Jesus went, and you'll see it over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, the possessed regained their freedom, the lepers were cleansed, the lame walked, the blind see, the deaf hear, and sins are forgiven. That's everything people were looking for with the breakthrough of the messianic kingdom, the coming of the Son of Man, prophesied in Daniel. So first, the scribes of the Pharisees ponder in their hearts. Then in the next episode here in chapter 2, we hear them asking the disciples for an answer. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, verse 15, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus is eating with them as if they all made up a family, children of the one father. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does just anything go? Where are the boundaries? Where are the limits? What's right? What's wrong? In Jewish terms, are the unclean now clean? It's quite significant, I think, that we use water. That's there's that idea of cleansing. He talks of God all the time, but scorns God's law. What's going on here? In a little while, not today, but as you go on in Mark, you'll see that they go on to debate with Jesus himself. Start thinking about it themselves. They ask the disciples. Soon they're going to be debating with Jesus himself. But for now, verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Not without irony, Jesus says he hasn't come for healthy people. Teachers of the law, for example, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. As the Archbishop said a year ago in his last synod charge, in a society like ours that is increasingly proud of its secular identity, New narratives about who we are as a nation seem to be in the process of construction. Time will tell how much they incorporate the ancient wisdom of the, of the covenant people and the Christian communities that emerged with them. And we can feel quite genuinely, I think, and I don't mean this as, as a complete negative. Don't hear this as a complete negative. And I think in some ways it might help us to give some sympathy to the scribes of the Pharisees and what they were struggling with. Because I think we get into questions of, you know, what's right, what's wrong, where are the boundaries, where are the limits? And there's lots of hard things to work out as we grapple with, say, how, you know, ethics that come about because of medical progress. So there's, you know, the things we take for granted, but there are things where different... Um, different faiths and, and including us really struggle with what's right, what's wrong, where are the boundaries, where's, where's the limits and have to really carefully think through. And I'm just naming one example. There's lots of others. And I could name some even more controversial ones. But it's worth remembering that Christianity has shared a long journey with many forms of polity and governance and understandings even of morality. And there's much that we can share in an open dialogue with those who are seeking to shape the future directions of our nation, such as our ancient traditions of lament resonating with truth-telling about frontier conflict 
whatever you think about the voice referendum that we are coming to vote on, there is still much that can resonate around First Nations voice to Parliament, listening, treaty, the different things that we're having to reflect on and coming back to the particular one we're being asked to reflect on and other issues, rules-based processes to deal with corruption. So much of the motivation to deal with corruption comes very much from you know, that Christian understanding that comes from that concern of, and, and Jewish understanding of concern for the weak and the important that justice is said, is, is, is done. And gendered violence. There's so much to be reflecting on, but let's not lose sight that Jesus has, as he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So how are we opening up to be finding the opportunities, not putting blocks, but looking where we can actually open up the opportunities for people to hear the good news of Jesus, answer his call, follow me. Who are the people on the outside that we can be looking to bring in? Who do we need to see like Jesus saw? Confirmation, as I said, is the opportunity to publicly say yes to Jesus' call to follow him. It's the opportunity also, Ben and Catherine, to take responsibility for your faith, representing Jesus Christ in the world. We are Christ's ambassadors, God's co-workers, enabling others to say yes to Jesus' call, follow me. A call we all say yes to as we put our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, as we keep to the heart of our faith in the power of the Spirit, keeping our confidence in God's purposes, continuing to answer Jesus' call to follow him, his call on our lives.